Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten, oh, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had a human father who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. With that, you probably already see the the theme this morning, Uh, but just to make it abundantly clear, our lesson this morning is this, Jesus is better at discipline. Jesus is is better at discipline, and and we kind of need to have uh, this this statement, I guess, at, at the beginning of our time, every single one of us in this room have either disciplined someone or been disciplined by someone, right? We, we all have, and, and so, so because of that, here's our challenge, because of that we are all going to bring our own thoughts and, and feelings about discipline into this conversation this morning. Okay, that, that's called a, a presupposition. It means that you already have a natural bent towards a thought or a concept of Scripture. You're going to bring in all of your own thoughts and all of your own feelings into the conversation. And it's going, even though you may not understand this, it's going to taint the way that you receive the Word of God. And so our, our goal when we study the Bible is actually to lay aside all of our presuppositions, to recognize them. So, so, so for example, if we had a really harsh father, then we recognize that and we say, okay, but I'm going to read about the Lord's discipline now and I'm going to understand that God is good and He is gracious. And he's... So, so the discipline it's talking about here, e- even though it seems unpleasant, it's not harsh. It, it's not done out of a mean-spiritedness, maybe like the discipline I received as a child, right? Maybe you're that child that you never got any discipline and you ran around just did whatever you wanted to. And, and, and again... It's not the kind of dis. So we're, we're talking about the Lord's. So we have to understand because we have all disciplined our uh, children, if we have them, or because we have all been disciplined at one time, we're all bringing something into this conversation. So my my goal and my hope for you is this morning that you'd be able to to lay uh, that aside to the best of your ability while we study the text together and talk about the Lord's discipline. And there are just four things I, I want to point out to you this morning, uh, and here they are. Number one. Uh, according to this text, 
Jesus uses discipline to lovingly correct us. Jesus uses discipline to lovingly correct us. I might even call this the primary motive of discipline. Right? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting in righteousness that the men of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And, and, and so one of the primary reasons that God disciplines us is because He loves us. I ask you the same question I asked you last week. Anyone here have a sin problem? You didn't answer it so well last week. You looked at me like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, the answer, of course, is yes, right? We, we have uh, sin problems because we live in a, a fallen, sinful world. We live in a world full of sin, and we allow that sin to creep into our lives. And, and, and sometimes we begin, that, we, we begin to believe that somehow we can manage it, that, that it's not as, as dangerous as that we think it is. I shared with you guys, uh, I, I'd been reading a story uh, probably a year ago or so of my children called Kingdom Tales. It's really amazing um, story just about the kingdom of heaven and, and it just kind of puts it in this great story format and so are these, there's these children that were, that were orphaned and then uh, they're basically adopted by, by God even though you know, you're kind of walking, there's different names for all the characters and, and, and they're in this wonderful place and, and, uh, and they're told while they're there that, that the only thing is, is that if they ever come across a dragon's egg they have to destroy it of course when they finally see a dragon's egg it's beautiful and it's radiant, and, and they think, oh, but look, I mean, surely, I mean, we, we couldn't destroy something that looks so great. And, and so this young little girl takes it home, and there she begins to care for it, and then the egg hatches, and it's a, it's a little baby dragon just chirping and, and so cute, and, and she begins to feed it. Of course, the, the bigger it gets, the more that it eats, And suddenly what was just warm breath becomes little spurts of smoke. And before you know it, it's a full-on fire-breathing dragon that sets the forest afire and burns her severely. It's a picture of sin. See, we have a sin problem. And we live in a fallen world. And here's, here's, here's the truth. We don't know how bad sin really is. We don't know how bad. Now, we think that we do. But I've seen the consequence of, no, you don't even, you can't in your limited nature according to God, because you're not divine, you can't even imagine how bad sin really is, and how much it truly destroys, and how much it really changes who you are. But your Father knows it intimately. And so in that sense, we are children not knowing the full effects of the power of sin, but God knows the full effects of the choice. And so, so God corrects us out of love, not wanting our lives to be destroyed or to go up in smoke. You follow me? And so it says here in, in verse 6, Start in verse 5. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you. Verse 6. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves. Discipline is, is a sign of God's love for us. If, if He didn't love us, He would allow us to settle for less. But He does love us and, and we are His children. We've been so declared for forever. 
And, and so instead of facing, facing wrath, which we deserve, which Christ took in our place, right? God, God doesn't give us wrath. Instead, He gives us loving correction or discipline. And, and that, that's huge. Just think about how we discipline our own children, right? When our children make a mistake, we don't disown them. We discipline them. And the same is true for us as children of God. When we mess up, we're not disowned. We're disciplined. Why? Because, because we, we're loved. We discipline our kids. We don't disown them because we love them. We want to lovingly correct them and restore their relationship, their, their closeness unto us. We, we have a great plan for them. And so God does the same thing for us. He disciplines us to get our attention, to correct our behavior, to draw us back to an intimate fellowship with Him. Think about the conversation that Jesus had with Peter. Do you remember that one? After Peter had denied him three times. And he meets them there on the lake. And, and he reminds Peter of exactly what he had done. Did y'all, do y'all remember that? Peter denied, denied him three times. So Jesus, three occasions. Now Peter, before he denies him, led up to Jesus saying, Hey, you're going to deny me. He said, Listen, I love you more than any of these. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will give up my life for you. And Jesus says, I tell you, before, before the rooster crows, three times you'll deny me. And so now Jesus on the beach, three times, three times, Peter's got to be going, Oh, each time he asks the question, This is the question where he failed. Do you love me? It's like a knife in Peter's heart. But he does it three times. Why? Because he's lovingly correcting his misunderstanding. He's lovingly teaching Peter what it means to really love him. That it's not about emotion. So so we begin here that that Jesus uh, disciplines us out of love. To lovingly correct us. Number two, according to this passage, Jesus uses discipline to protect us. Jesus uses discipline to protect us. Uh, How many of you as parents ever have had a child run towards a busy street? Okay. In that moment, how many of you, now you don't have to tell me all these things, how many of you either screamed at your child, I mean, a, a, a got their attention, blood curling, I, like they thought death was coming, scream. You ran and you grabbed them and you did not care even if you had broken an arm. You snatched them up with every, every ounce of power you had as a grown adult. You maybe even spanked them in that moment out of fear, right? Okay? Anybody have your parents do that to you when you were a kid? You were young and dumb and took off toward... I don't know how. My mother did all three at the same time, right? I don't know if your mom was that talented, but she... And, and she didn't, like, spank with her hand. She, she wore these, like, flip-flop, like, like corkboard kind of shoe things. And so, like, running toward... Scoop me up, off comes the shoe. I mean, yelling, screaming, yanking, whooping all the time. I'm thinking, I should have I gotten to the car, you know? That would have been easier, my mom was trying to teach me, listen, you could die. You could die. Do you not understand? That ball is not important. That ball was 98 cents and I will buy you a million other balls in your lifetime. But you are infinitely more valuable to me than that ball, right? That you're chasing out into the street. Trying to protect me. 
Why such a strong response? Because as a parent, it's naturally ingrained with it. What does the Bible say? It says that we are made in the image of who? God. So we're made in the image of God, and so we have many of the same responses of, of God, and God is a, a parent. He's a creator, but he's a parent, he's a father. And so being made in the image of God, we naturally have some of the the Father's heart. And one of the the key elements of the Father's heart is protection of His children. It's just ingrained in who we are. I remember when when Cole was born, right? I I remember each of my children, and then Connor, and then Caleb. I remember when we adopted faith, and and, and how my heart has just changed over time. And and, and God has, has given me this desire. I mean, it's just the core of who I am. I want to protect my children. Everything that I have. And that's how God feels uh, about us, right? He, he wants to protect us. And, 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 and some of us are experiencing hardships, according to this, this text, as some form of discipline. Now listen, that doesn't mean that all hardship is discipline, by the way. Specifically in, in this verse, it, it's talking about persecution. Uh, it, it, it even mentions sin. There are some times that we're going to experience things in this world because we live in a fallen world, right? And it doesn't specifically have to do with our sin or our situation. But there are times that God allows hardship as a way to protect us. And I think maybe the greatest example of that for me when I study the Scriptures is the life of Paul. The life of Paul. See, there are times that God allows hardships um, to become almost a barrier to protect us against some type of great sin. Grace. So you can imagine, like if we're back to the illustration of the child running towards the street, there are times that God will allow us to be disciplined uh, almost as, as a fence or a barrier to keep us from some grave mistake. And so when you look at Paul and you study his life, and, and, and we'll do this, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, as you turn there, Paul, uh, just a great man of God, and, and, and you know, it wasn't always that way, but God, God saved Paul miraculously, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, God, God saved Paul miraculously, and, uh, and, and he gave Paul the, these great visions of, of, of himself. God gave Paul great visions of God and of heaven, and, and um. And he radically changes Paul. He used to be Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church, and now he becomes this great preacher and this church planter. And, um, and, and so God gave him these great visions. Um, and this is how Paul knows so much about Jesus, right? He, he, he just supernaturally, he, he's seen Jesus, uh, he's heard from Jesus, and, and so, so this is what he's writing unto us. This is why God uses him to write half the New Testament. Use him to pen uh, half the books of the New Testament. And so, so kind of a big deal. But Paul um, endured great hardship in his life. And, and, and we know that. And most of the hardship he doesn't even complain about. He just says, oh, I'm in prison. It's no big deal. I, I know what it is to, to be in need or, or I know what it is to have or be in one. Those things don't matter to me, right? But, but there is something that happened in his life of which Paul was not okay with. There's something, uh, some kind of hardship which Paul endured, which he begged and he pleaded with the Lord for deliverance from. And, and he did it um, on three occasions. And you say, well, that's not big, that big of a deal. He prayed, prayed three times. No. He would have continued to pray, but God actually showed up and said, Paul, stop praying about this. My answer is no. And, and, and so we, we kind of need to figure out what this was and what this looked like. And so I just want you to see this 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. 
Paul writes, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why did God allow Paul to endure such hardship? Why did God say no? Why why did God discipline Paul in such a a harsh way? It was something he he lived with the rest of his life. Why? Did you see it? It's in verse 7. In order to keep me from becoming what? Conceited. He said, Paul... I want to do something so amazing in you, but I can only do it if you remain humble and in need of me. And 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 if I take this thing away from you and and you get comfortable, you will no longer rely on me in the way that I need you to to be used for my glory. And so Paul gets it, and he says, you know what? And because of that, I rejoice in this weakness. I rejoice in this messenger of Satan. I rejoice in this discipline I receive because I know that when I am weak, then Christ is strong in me. So sometimes God uses discipline. Sometimes Jesus disciplines us. To protect us from some great sin. In this case, in Paul's case, it was pride. Maybe you've been wondering, maybe you've been praying, God, why? Maybe God is saying, because I need you to need me so that I can use you for my glory. Number three, according to this text, Jesus uses discipline to train and to mature us. One of the things that um, we look for when we study scriptures, um, you can call them key words, uh, you can call them central phrases or, or, or central words, uh, but just when you study scriptures, when you're reading, uh, you, you want to look for um, different things. So, so specifically, are there any key words or central words or repeating words in this text? And so if you go back and just real quick with your eyes, scan the text, 4 through 11, um, do you see any words, this is interactive time by the way, you see any words that stand out that are repeated quite a bit? Go ahead. Discipline, discipline, nine times the word discipline is used in this one, in this short little amount of verses. Anything else? What's that? Weakness, okay. There's another word, it's in there six times. Sons, right? Son, son is, son or sons is used six times. Also a lot of references to father and to child and to relationship. And so the whole passage we've just read is all about fathers and sons and discipline, right? And, and, and uh, that's what this, this passage is about. So, so uh, if I were reading a passage like this and the word discipline popped up nine times and the word son popped up six times, it was all about a father-son relationship and discipline and how it all worked out, I might want to know what those words were talking about. And so I would say, okay, so what did that word actually mean, for instance? Now, if you guys are at home, a great way you can do this, a great resource online, I like a Blue Letter Bible. 
Um, you can go to Blue Letter Bible uh, and you, you click on this passage of Scripture and you, you go to the Word and you go to Bible Study Tools and Discipline and, and it has the Strong's Word and you click on it and it tells you what the Greek meaning of this word discipline is. And uh, this is what it is, okay? <laughs> it literally means the whole training and education of a child, ready, in relation to their cultivation, in relation to their cultivation. So, so uh, the word discipline is about the whole training and education of a child in relation to their cultivation. And we live in Elgin, so I may not need to uh, explain this to you, but for those of us that aren't farmers, maybe you need to know that cultivation is, is all about development, right, to maturity. Cultivation is how you take a seed and you make it into a crop, right? That's, that's cultivation. And, and so uh, this, this word discipline then, it should bring with it connotation of growth, right? It, it's all about maturity. That's, that's the point of the word discipline. So that there can be a, a harvest. And so this term points to maturity. And then the text backs that up by using the word son six times. See, because there's all kinds of different words in the Greek for words that we have. And for, so, for instance, you know, I say I have sons, and, 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 uh, but, but the word son here is a very specific word. And, and, and this word that's used over and over six times um, is, is, is an adult term, right? It literally um, means, uh, it, it means to, as adopted sons uh, that we all get this kind of full inheritance. But it, it's a word that's used to talk about maturity, so this is a son which you would expect to act like an adult. You following me? Okay, this is the, the, the word that says, when, when God says we've all been adopted as sons, that includes the women, by the way. Um, that we, you know, we, we use sons and daughters a lot, but God actually adopted even the ladies as a son, uh, it, meaning a, a mature, uh, actually firstborn son that gets full inheritance rights uh, into the kingdom of God, into heaven, which is pretty cool, uh, because back then that, that, wasn't, that wasn't that way, but that is in Christ. And, uh, and so, so it's, saying, it's talking about this, this, this maturity, um, and there's a totally different word for young children. That's how we, we know this. And so the word in, in our text here is, uh, is, uh, is huios, uh, and, and literally, again, it's talking about adult term towards growth and maturity, but the word for a young child is different. It, it, it's paideon. And so when we look at those two words and we do a quick study, we see they're totally different. They have totally different roots, totally different backgrounds, totally different meanings. And, uh, and, and, and what that means is, is what we see here in, in verse 11. In verse 11 of, of Hebrews 12, and there's two words I, I would point to. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and, and peace. Um, and it goes on for those who have been trained. And so the word harvest, again, it's talking about maturity. And the word training has to do with exercise or working out. So here's what this would, would say to us, basically, is, is that the Lord often uses hardship. The Lord often uses hardships to work out growth and maturity in our lives. All right? The, word, the Lord often uses hardships to work out growth and maturity in our lives and in our faith. Because we're forced... In those times to rely on who? On God, right? This is the, the story of Paul's life. He was forced to. He pleaded. He begged, God, please, I'm asking you to remove this messenger of Satan, this thorn in my foot. Please remove this from me. And God says to Paul, stop praying about it because I'm not going to do it because I need you to need me. I, I need you to be weak because when you're weak, I'm going to be strong for you. That's my plan for your life. 
When we're forced to rely on God like Paul, we witness how God uses us when we are weak and we grow eventually uh, to the point that we actually enjoy that weakness and that vulnerability because we, we trust God to show up and do things that only He can do. And the things that He can do are always so much better than what we could produce, right? Um, a few months ago, uh, you guys have been praying, and I appreciate your prayers. You know, we've, we've, it's been a crazy year for us, and i um, had all kinds of uh, sickness and, and things, and there was just there were just a few months. It just seemed like nothing was getting better, and we're praying for drugs to work, and nothing's working. And um, it was just it was just hard. It was tough. Uh, Angela uh, Griffin was working in, in the office a couple days a week. She was here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And guys, there was about a month that we were walking through Hebrews, and it was continually talking about the grace of God. And I would get to the end of a sermon, and as I'm writing, I usually got uh, you know some worship music playing in the background, and all of a sudden I'm just over, and I just begin weeping. And I'm like, I must have been crying pretty loud. I don't know because I would come out, and Angela would just go, "I can tell it's going to be a good sermon on Sunday." And, and, and here's the deal, guys, and I lie to you not, I, I honestly think that during that time that God just, just showed, because I, there, were, there were weeks, guys, that just, I was required to all of a sudden, I, I, you know, I'd have to go home for a while because something was happening, or I, you know, I, I mean, it was just, there was stress on a, a lot of areas, but, but every single moment, whether I had, you know, 10 hours or I had 10 minutes, it seemed like God would just show up, and he'd just be God. And I would just be overwhelmed. And so when it came to going to Uganda, I literally, I just prayed, God, make me weak. Make me weak. And boy, man, my stomach was not good. I was dizzy the whole time. And and God was good. (laughs) The more we allow God to chasten us and and to discipline us, the more we allow God to keep us in that weak state so that he can show up, the more we start to want to be that kind of person. Because I'm not worried about what anybody else thinks. I'm just worried about what God thinks. I'm willing to get low before him. and I'm willing to trust him to show up and do things that only he can do. Okay? It's a big deal. We've got to keep watch on time here. Last, number four, Jesus uses discipline to prune us and make us more fruitful. Again, verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. That that phrase doesn't sit well with me. It shouldn't sit well with you. It seems painful. (laughs) It always seems painful, doesn't it? But what does it produce? A a harvest of righteousness and, and peace. I don't, I don't know if you, you've planted a garden, but if, if you've ever messed with a fruit tree or even tomatoes or any of those kind of things, if you want a plant to produce, you have to prune it. It doesn't even seem right, right? I mean, ladies that have rose bushes, you're like, oh, I want as many flowers as possible. No, you won't have beautiful roses unless you do what? You've got to prune that, that plant. And, 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 and it always hurts, is, is you're like, but I'm trying to grow something here and I'm having to cut it away. No, you're going to have to cut it away if you want to see fruit. Listen, the Bible talks about that. Jesus talks about that in John chapter 15. He says, I'm the vine, right? You're the branches. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, you go back and he says, listen, my father's goal for your life is that you would produce much fruit. That's going to bring him great glory. But for that to happen, I'm going to have to prune you. Every area of your life that bears fruit which, hear me, every area that bears fruit, I'm going to have to prune. But I, I like to think, but God, but in this area, it's going so well, right? I mean, look at all the stuff that's happening here. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to have to cut on that. Ouch! Why? So you can be more fruitful. 
Because to my, this is for my father's glory, that you, you bear much fruit. Not just, not some, not more, much. But for that to happen in your life, I'm going to have to prune you. And guys, sometimes the, God's form of discipline in our lives is really God trying to get our attention, trying to cut away the unnecessary so that we can bear much fruit. You know, our lives are a lot like trees. I used to have a tree in one house. I loved it. It was, it was a beautiful tree. I don't know what kind of tree it was, but it had, the, it had the most shoots I'd ever seen. You know what a shoot is, right? You've got a branch, and it just has all these little tiny baby branches. I mean, you would have to get up in that sucker and just keep cutting away and cut. Why? Because the tree wouldn't grow the way it was supposed to if it had a million little shoots in it. Listen, same is true with our lives. God has to cut away things so that he can bear fruit where he wants to, okay? And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask Alan to come up, and this is our application section. I know he usually comes up at the invitation, and we're changing it. Uh, This is the applicatory invitation. I I, I don't know. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I, I don't know. I told Alan, I was like, so I was writing this, and and God just kind of put something on my heart. And so... um, our, our application and, and our invitation it just all has to be mixed into one. And so what I'm going to do is I want to walk you through a series of four uh, questions, basically, um, or, or four things I'm going to ask you to do. And we're going to enter into this time of contemplative prayer. So you're going to fill out the, 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 the worksheet. You're going to fill in the blanks. And then there's blank underneath that. And you're going to pray. And then whatever God lays on your heart, you're going to write there. And I'll walk you through it, okay? And so let's just begin... Here is, you say, well, God, what are, you, what are you calling me to? Like, like, God, how are you speaking to me, right? And, and again, I, I think there's just, just four areas that, that God might speak to our hearts. And I want to start um, with, with, with this um, uh, very first thing. I, I want you to ask God to show you every area of your life that is not bringing him glory. Discipline doesn't seem fun, right? This is, this is I'm going to tell you, this is going to stink. Can I just be honest? It's going to stink. But just right now, where you are, I, just, I want you to just bow and just say, God, where am I not bringing you glory? What is it? God, would you show me? It's, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Maybe you want to turn from your neighbor so you can write down the answers. That's fine. But I, I, just, I just want you to just ask God, God, where am I not bringing you glory? Show me. God, show me. And when he speaks to you, I just want you to write that down for a second. So here's the second thing. Now, now that, that was painful. <laughs> I want to ease that pain just a little bit. Here's the second thing I want you to ask God for. To just ask God, just you just simple prayer. Ask God to show you his love for you. <laughs> ask God to show you his love for you. Despite the first one. <laughs> In spite of all of that, just say, God, <laughs> show me how you love me. Just pray that right now. God, show me. 
show me how much you love me. Just pray that. And again, if he, he puts anything, maybe a verse on your heart, maybe a, maybe a phrase, I want you to write it in a blank. How much do you love me? Here's number three. If you haven't jotted down what God said about how much he loves you, I want you to encourage you to fill that out. Jot that down. That reminder. Here's the third thing. Again, we're just praying unto God. I want you to ask God to change your heart so that you can accept and see his discipline as a good thing. (laughs) As a good thing. Paul. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's tough, but it's right. It's done out of love. It's done to produce fruit. It's done to protect. Would you just, would you just say to God, God, I accept it as good. Would you just do that now, just where you are. Just, just pray to him. Here's the last part. Okay. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Let us all pray this this morning. Let's ask God to continue to do whatever he needs to do in order for us to become more like Christ. It's a prayer like, God, I know I'm not there. I need you to continue to cut out things that shouldn't be important. I need you to continue to point out sin. I need you to continue to allow a struggle so that I might be more like Jesus. Would you pray that prayer this morning? Father, this morning, we just want to say collectively, thank you for loving us. Thank you for doing the the tough things and, and for showing us the areas of our lives that are not bringing you glory. While they are hard to see and they are hard to swallow, they are necessary for us to see, to admit 
and to cry out, Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Would you help us to be the men and the women that you intend us to be, that our lives might be spent for your glory and for your fame, not for our own? Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. If we ever doubt how much we are loved by you, God, may we look to the cross and see your arms stretched out open wide. This is love. Not that we first love you, but that you loved us. And that you sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.